0: Growing up in, uh, you know, a tiny town was kind of rough on me, you know, I I had this undiagnosed genetic disorder, uh, and also, um, you know, I I was gender non-conforming, and I was, you know, we were like the only Jewish family in town, (laughs) and my parents were vegetarian hippies, and it like, it, let's say there was like a lot, um, there was a lot for bullies to work with there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was the 80s. We weren't really talking about bullying in schools the same way that we that we are now. So, you know, a lot, so, you know, they they'd tell me like, oh, you know, they're picking on you because they can see they're getting to you. So I was, you know, so I took that to mean like, you know, hide weakness at all costs.
1: Hey there. And welcome to In Sickness and in Health, a podcast about chronic illness, disability, medical traumas, and everyday, uncomfortable healthcare experiences. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm just a person and a patient who really wants to talk about this stuff more. Nothing on this podcast or any of its related content should ever be considered medical advice. I want to be very clear about that. If you're experiencing a medical issue, please seek qualified and timely medical help. I know the system sucks. I've been there, but I wish you a lot of luck. We're all going through this together, but I can't stress enough how different we all are, even if we were to have identical medical files. There are so many factors that go into shaping a person's experience of health and illness. Just because something worked for one person does not mean it will work for you or anyone else. I want to ask my audience to remain respectful of the very personal decisions of my guests, and remember that the choices of others do not reflect or affect any choices of your own. But Rebecca and I have an awful lot in common. We both grew up weirdos in the same tiny mountain town in northern New Jersey, attended the same high school at different times, have many of the same diagnoses, and even saw the same doctor at one point long after we had both moved away from home. We had so much to talk about. I had to split our interview into two separate episodes. Next week, I'll be posting part two, where we talk about Rebecca's advocacy work toward accessible transportation in Philadelphia, some of the social and economic issues facing the chronically ill and people with disabilities, reconceptualizing disability, internalized ableism, and diversity of disability.
0: So, you know, so even though I was like sick frequently, Um, you know, and would be missing school, like I definitely, you know, got in the habit of uh, reducing my own dislocations. And, you know, I got very adept at wrapping my sprained ankles with ACE bandages on my own. Um, You know, also just because, you know, the doctors that I saw weren't particularly helpful either. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like there was by the time I was hitting puberty, it was pretty clear that there was something wrong with me, but they didn't know what it was, right you know so eventually, like I just stopped going to the doctors because I assumed that they couldn't help me, and they really couldn't at that point. um, I would need a diagnosis for that to happen. you know, a good like kind of culminating point was when I was I think I was ten or eleven and I was homesick with the flu for the you know zillionth time that year um. You know, and and keep in mind that I wasn't diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome until I was 28. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, it was just kind of mysterious. Uh, but you know, I was home, sick. You know, homesick with my parents, and I you know, I asked them, "Mom, Dad, am, am I a sickly child?" You know, because I'd read a lot of Victorian <gasps> children's literature. Yeah, <laughs> and they were like, "No, no, you're not." But but that was a lie too. So right. I I think that there was just like a lot of a lot of denial, a lot of kind of like, you know, filtering my experiences through uh, the very limited <laughs> portrayals uh, of chronic illness that I saw in children's literature. And I mean, you really didn't want to be like Colin from The Secret Garden. Like that was
1: that. exactly who I was
0: thinking about. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't want to be him, but I was really afraid I was him. Oh.
1: <laughs> Rebecca now lives in Philadelphia with their spouse three cats, and a dog. While not yelling about ableism, they enjoy container gardening. In today's episode, Rebecca talks about the ups and downs of EDS, their long and winding diagnostic process, working 10 times as hard to be half as healthy as everyone else, and redefining their value while not being able to work at a paying job. This is the third episode in a series of interviews with dysautonomia patients for the last week of Dysautonomia Awareness Month. We're putting up new episodes every day, so keep an eye on your podcast feed or find us at insicknesspod.com. If you want to learn more about dysautonomia, go back to episode one, dysauta Whata? Lauren Stiles, the president of the nonprofit group Dysautonomia International, gives us a crash course on just what dysautonomia is. We also talk about the diagnostic delay that many patients face, and some of the research her organization has been able to fund. The second episode in this series is with Alana, a writer and patient advocate who talks about failing alternative medicine, how she manages her career, blogging, the horrors of GI testing, crying in parking lots, and attempting wedding planning while living with a very unpredictable chronic illness. Later in the week, we'll have two more episodes with other dysautonomia patients that have different primary diagnoses. Like myself, Rebecca's primary diagnosis is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Sometimes it's pronounced Ehlers, sometimes it's pronounced Ellers, sometimes, sometimes it's pronounced Ehlers. The pronunciation isn't really important. It's not something that a lot of people have even heard of. It's barely taught in medical schools, and most doctors know almost nothing about it. It's complicated and poorly understood, but I asked Rebecca to explain a bit about the condition to give you an idea of the basics.
0: So Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a group of uh, genetic disorders of connective tissue formation and metabolism. Uh, usually it's collagen for us, definitely for the most, uh, the most common types, which are hypermobility and the classical variation. Um, so in most cases, It's going to show itself with dislocating unstable joints, either like complete dislocations or partial dislocations, which are called subluxations. Uh, So we have a lot of, um, we can have muscle spasms, uh, which is the body's way of compensating for those instabilities. And we also um, are very prone to injury. So whether it's like small, repeated micro tears in the muscle or in tendons and ligaments, or if it's you know, tendinitis or like actual, you know, complete tears, sprains, strains, um, <laughs> all kinds of fun injuries. And uh, so <laughs> I guess it probably um, goes without saying that that can cause all kinds of chronic pain and also kind of progressive disability. Most people uh, with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome also show some um disorder of the autonomic nervous system, which is called dysautonomia, and one of the more common types of that is POTS, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. So that means that when you uh, are changing position, like to get upright, to stand up, your blood tends to pool uh, either in the abdomen or in the legs and feet, um, which causes uh, tachycardia as a response. And sometimes syncope, which is a you know, fancy medical way of saying passing out, can be very disabling. Um, it can also come with all sorts of uh, gastrointestinal problems, like gastroparesis, which is delayed gastric emptying, um, or no gastric emptying in really severe cases. Uh, and uh, food allergies are really common. Um, and these are all things I struggle with. Um, it's it's really an adventure. <laughs> Uh, our bodies are a wonderland. (laughs) Truly. Um, Oh, and I didn't even get into the immune derangement Mm. or, uh, you know, what happens to your cervical spine and brain over time, um, causing all kinds of uh, kind of secondary neurological complications.
1: (laughs) We talk more about EDS and its effects in this episode and in next week's as well. I hope you enjoy the interview. We had a lot of fun recording it.
0: Um, Yeah, so it was a really, it was kind of an interesting mix of approaches. So, like I mentioned, you know, we were vegetarian and kind of crunchy, and my mom ran a food co op out of our garage um, and was like a natural childbirth instructor. So, you know, so we went to the health food store, and, you know, my immune system was awful, so we'd take, you know, echinacea and golden seal, and my stomach was always hurting, so that was papaya enzymes. But at the same time, you know, she also took me to the doctor. So it wasn't like they were depending entirely on these, you know, kind of natural remedies um, right. or non-remedies, as the case may be. Um, you know, so it was definitely like kind of a comprehensive approach. But, you know, my, my parents really trusted the doctors. So, you know, when the doctors said like, if, uh, you know, they're okay, there's nothing wrong with them my parents you know believed them which was you know kind of reasonable I guess you know we're really we're trained to kind of respect authority and you know believe doctors and respect their credentials right um but you know that that might not work when you have a rare disease
1: yeah what have you been diagnosed with and what exactly does that mean for you
0: Okay, so um, the genetic disorder that I've been uh, referring to is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Uh, most, possi- most probably the classical subtype, though possibly the hypermobility subtype, and it'll probably all be changed next summer anyway, so I'm not too caught up on the specifics.
1: Right, because um, they're doing an <laughs> international symposium where they're planning to rewrite the diagnostic criteria and probably redo yeah, well, the typing. <laughs> we'll that. all
0: get reshuffled, probably. Right. Um, which is, it's actually a good thing.
1: Oh, um, I'm super psyched about it. Yeah, yeah,
0: we're way overdue. 1998 or 97, I think, was the, the last round, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so along with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, um, I also have, uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, um, gastroparesis, or, uh, mast cell activation syndrome, um, I think think those are the big ones. Yeah. Um, Oh, and I have generalized anxiety disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, that's Uh, a
1: fun combo.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, And, I mean, I've had anxiety disorders in the past uh, that I don't seem to have anymore. Like, I seem to have outgrew my obsessive-compulsive disorder, which is great. Like, I'll take it. You know, I have enough already. Yeah. and let me think what else yeah and then there's like you know just all the you know all the like really secondary stuff like you know temporal mandibular joint disorder and tinnitus and um cervical myelopathy and uh cervical radiculopathy and you know many many herniated discs and I think I have a tear in my right shoulder right now. I'm going for an MRI on Wednesday. But, like, that's life with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Like, it's kind of, you know, one thing after another. Like, you triage the most urgent problem and just kind of, like, live with the rest in the meantime. I
1: always say it's like playing whack-a-mole. Yes! Every time I address one issue, (laughs) I'm like, oh, sweet. Wait a minute, what's this other thing that's been here this whole time?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and like you know, the things that like other people think are the biggest issues aren't like really. So, I mean, to be very blunt here, um, I used to have like diarrhea all day every oh, day. Oh, please
1: talk <laughs> as much about diarrhea as you want. If, if it, I could do a point. poop cast,
0: I would. I, I will be I will be a guest on your poop cast. Yes. I, I have much to say about poop. Uh, <laughs> So, getting to the point where I wasn't waking up at, like, you know, between 3 and 5 a.m. every morning and crapping my brains out was, like, seriously, like, the biggest improvement in quality of life that oh, I, yeah, like, course. ever experienced. Um, you know, it's it's those little things. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, so, you know, someone might have thought it was my patellar maltracking, you know, because that was, you know very painful and very obvious. No, no, it was the pooping. Yeah. It was, it was the pooping.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean being woken up out of your slumber to have diarrhea is not my idea of a good time. No,
0: you don't want to start your day that way.
1: No, definitely <laughs> um, not.
0: Yeah. But you know, and really just like getting my body kind of to the point where I could like leave my house again and like show up to things on like a semi reliable basis <laughs> has been huge. Um like, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome had just been a lot of, like, ups and downs with me. Um, and, you know, I'm, like, pretty clear on the fact that, like, you know, we're, we're going downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it would be, like, something major happens, and then I get treated, and I, you know, I get a bit better, but not totally better. And then something else happens, <laughs> and I get treatment, and I get a bit better, but not totally better. Right. So I'm just kind of, like, accumulating, like, diagnoses over the years. Um, but, there, you know, there was like a point where I wasn't, able, you know, when my, I, I developed symptoms of postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, or I should say it got a lot worse, like very suddenly. Mm-hmm. And that was super hard to learn to cope with. Yeah. Um, and that's what actually, uh, you know, got me out of normal employment because um, I couldn't get off my couch for a while. Yeah. And just, you know, finding the right meds finding the right assistive devices was huge. And, you know, also just learning to pace myself and, you know, know that if I need to be somewhere, you know, on Wednesday, it means I need to, like, not do anything, like, starting on Sunday.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve, for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, like, we become, we really become experts in self-management, yeah. And I'd like to see, you know, more respect for that and more mm-hmm. studying that uh, coming from the medical field. Like, I think that if they listen to patients more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a concept.
0: Maybe that would be helpful. You know, the literature wouldn't be, you know, like in the case of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, the literature always seems to be at least like five years behind right. what patients know.
1: right. And as far as doctors are concerned, they get one, maybe two slides on it in medical school that's like, okay, so here's Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. These are all the types. Here's some symptoms that are associated with it. And it just groups them all together.
0: And then they move on
1: to something else, you know. So I hear constantly from other people who are kind of exploring the diagnosis. My doctor told me that I couldn't possibly have EDS because my skin
0: isn't stretchy enough. From different people with different doctors.
1: Oh, yeah, because doctors learn in medical school, like Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome equals extremely stretchy skin. And that's the thing that sticks out in their mind, and that's what they remember. So when a patient presents with what actually are the symptoms of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, (laughs) which I'm not saying that stretchy skin isn't. Obviously, it is is specifically associated with the classical type. But, you know, most of us have the hypermobile type. So if they're presenting with all of the other symptoms and you tell them they can't possibly have it because they don't have stretchy skin, it's such a disservice because then that sends that person back out into the world- still wondering what the hell is wrong with me you know yeah i
0: mean i think also like there's a tendency for you know whoever picks the photos that like, oh, go in medical textbooks oh, yeah you know like let's find the most extreme case exactly you know and this is a spectrum disorder like mm-hmm. some of us are mildly hypermobile some of us are extremely hypermobile but like actually hypermobility doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the severity of the complications you're gonna right. experience like, I mean, it, it it does for joints, but someone who's, you know, whose joints are only, you know, very mildly hypermobile could still have, you know, one of the associated problems like, you know, Chiari malformation right. or, you know, an aortic aneurysm.
1: Or even POTS, which can be extremely disabling.
0: Yeah. And I actually, I heard from a POTS doctor, you know, he had, or, you know, nominally a POTS expert who I saw when I was initially, you know, diagnosed with POTS because, you know, the people who diagnosed me couldn't, you know, couldn't tell me anything about treating it because they didn't know anything about treating it. Um, (laughs) So I went to this guy and, you know, I rode like, you know, several hours in the car, which was very uncomfortable, and then waited a really long time in his waiting room, which was also really uncomfortable. (laughs) So anyway, so, you know, what this, you know, supposed POTS expert, you know, does, he comes in and he starts, uh, trying to evaluate me for hypermobility but you know and i'm like uh well you know i would prefer not to hyperextend my joints uh my other doctors have told me not to um you know the only reason you'd be doing you know i figured the only reason he'd be doing it would be if he like you know actually was doubting the validity of my eds diagnosis Mm -hmm. but so anyway i'm like why are you doing this and he's like well you know something about severity of hypermobility correlates with severity of pots that's not true no, that's not. That's definitely not true. And if like these are the doctors who are, you know, presenting themselves as the expert in the condition, I'm really, really worried about yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah I,
1: I hear for- that a lot from a lot of people who are seeing quote unquote, experts who are clearly
0: not. Like, who, who said you were an expert? You?
1: Yeah. So you actually got diagnosed with POTS after your EDS diagnosis. Mine was the opposite. I got diagnosed with EDS after getting diagnosed with POTS and being like, why do I have this thing? Yeah. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your diagnostic process and how that unfolded?
0: Oh, my goodness. Yes. I would love to tell you about my, my diagnostic process. So basically, um, let's say I'm not very good at sports, um, <laughs> but I'm really stubborn uh, which has actually served me really well as a person with a chronic illness. Yeah. Um, so I, um, you know, I was really stubborn, and I decided I was going to be a runner. So you know, I ran and ran, and I actually got pretty good at it. You know, through stubbornness. Like I'm not very fast, but my endurance was good. Um, and, you know, I was really good at ignoring like the searing pains in my bones uh, every time my foot hit the ground. Uh, so I had like a um, a running accident, uh, which in retrospect was probably... Um, a sacroiliac dislocation Mm -hmm. uh that compressed my um sciatic nerve yeah um so it was most likely like a sacroiliac dislocation resulting in sciatic nerve compression but uh of course we didn't really know that at the time because no one expects you to dislocate your sacroiliac joint right you know so I, I went for this run and you know something didn't feel right so I cut it short and I went home and you know, as the day you know, I tried to stretch it out, but as the day went on, it got to the point where I literally couldn't sit down without like terrible, excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was on. It was on a holiday weekend. The next Monday, I went to see the doctor. I was treated with NSAIDs, which it later turned out I was allergic to. Oh, okay. good. And muscle relaxants, uh, which it later turned out were really bad for me because they. Uh, you know, without my muscles holding my joints in place, the joints don't really have anything holding them in place. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, like, I basically uh, did not get better over the next six weeks like they expected me to. So they sent me to physical therapy. Uh, Oh, yeah, and I also had an MRI that showed herniated discs, but none that could actually correspond to the problems I was having, (laughs) Um, of course. So, uh, you know, eventually I got in to see a physical therapist, and during the initial evaluation, she said, wow, you're really hypermobile in some areas, uh, and your muscles are hyper are hypotonic in some places, but hypertonic in others. So I go home, and I don't know what any of these words mean, so I look it up on the computer. And, you know, I look up hypermobility, and it says, you know, usually benign. However, you know, if you also have all these other uh <laughs> problems that you have, it could be a sign of a hereditary connective tissue disorder, such as Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, and at that point, you know, the light really went off for me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I'd been, you know, really dealing with a lot of, like, health challenges and, like, just general fatigue and, you know, feeling yucky and irritable bowel syndrome stuff for a really long time. And, you know, I tried to, like, self-treat with uh you know ridiculous diet and excessive exercise which you know kind of got me part of the way there but i felt like i was working like you know 10 times as hard to be half as healthy right. as your average person yeah i
1: went through the exact same thing
0: <laughs> i wonder how many of us do right
1: like maybe if i just eat this really really restrictive diet and exercise <laughs> constantly I'll be okay.
0: Yeah, definitely cuz it's all our fault. Right. Like, you know, and if you do gain weight, they'll blame any pain on the mm-hmm. weight gain. Like, oh, you should lose weight. But but I'm gaining weight because I'm on Lyrica for my pain and it causes yeah. weight gain. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm one of like the dreaded people who like diagnosed myself off the internet, but in my case I was 100% correct. <laughs>
1: And a lot of times people are, I mean, if you have the skills to be able to evaluate information and verify information, like diagnosing yourself is not necessarily a bad thing. I have done that with just about (laughs) every correct diagnosis that I have. And it's not like I just (laughs) diagnosed myself and started self-treating. I diagnosed myself and then brought it to a doctor who was then able to verify that diagnosis,
0: Oh, yeah, same here. I definitely don't recommend, like, you know, treating yourself based on your own diagnosis, but, like, you know, doctors don't necessarily have these rare things on their mind, or, yeah, but, you know, for me, it was just, like, so, like, beautifully specific, Mm -hmm. you know, it was talking about, like, a narrow palate, and I had, you know, I had to have a palate expander when I was a kid and you know this the the scars you know which I was just you know covered in and you know and I I felt like really really self-conscious of my scars Mm -hmm. for so much of my life because you know they're stretch marks I was like oh it's because I'm fat you know I have these terrible stretch marks no I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome Mm -hmm. you know so it's (laughs) it, it was just very weird to kind of you know, type in a word to Google and, like, see a description of the rare genetic disorder that you have. It's like (laughs)
1: stepping into the, like, back of the closet and entering Narnia.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, And, you know, one thing I did do was I very quickly got involved in the online patient community, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and they, you know, and they were very helpful and encouraging um during that initial quest to get a diagnosis Uh, you know and I definitely saw some people who could not help me uh during that time (laughs) um but you know with the help of like all these other people who had gone through this ridiculous process I was you know they they helped me keep my spirits up and uh, you know and there was always this fear in the back of my head that you know I was being a hypochondriac and I didn't actually Mm -hmm. have this Um, you know, especially because, you know, some of the doctors I saw, you know, trying to find out if I had it, you know, really, you know, didn't seem particularly impressed. Right. (laughs) But, you know, but no, I I mean, I really do have Ehlers-Headless Syndrome. Um, and then being involved in the online patient community. Uh, was great because, you know, I knew what was happening when I suddenly fell apart because of POTS. Like, (laughs) I knew the symptoms of POTS. Um, I'm going through
1: that right now, like with (laughs) gastroparesis. I've had minor symptoms of it for several years and I just had a stomach virus earlier this month and afterwards I'm like, oh, oh, this is (laughs) gastroparesis. I know exactly what's happening and it's miserable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yup, yup. Yeah, and I think you also have mast cell activation syndrome. Yeah. Um, And that's just one that, like, I've really, like, had symptoms of that since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that I just attributed to general sickliness. Uh, But, you know, that was, you know, really kind of, you know, it's still a very, like, cutting-edge diagnosis. Um, You know, still, like, finding acceptance. But, you know, it was all over the Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome message boards, you know, several years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, it was actually really... Uh, Pretty easy to identify that that was, you know, what was driving like a huge portion of my symptoms that weren't, you know, necessarily like this bones out and this nerve is squished. Right. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. there's just treated- so much tertiary weird stuff that happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. By the way, getting treated for mast cell activation syndrome was what uh, saved me from the 3 a.m. poop emergency.
1: Yeah, me too. I mean, I wasn't having 3 a.m. poop emergencies. I was just having poop emergencies at random times throughout the day.
0: But. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> huge improvement in quality of life. Yeah. Um. And now I just kind of feel like I'm, you know, in the groove with that. Like, I'm pretty... You know, my, my spouse and I joke about it that, you know, that I, I really like, I have a pretty good track record right now of calling my diagnoses.
1: Yeah. Was there anything that you were super surprised to find out wasn't normal? (laughs) (laughs) Because for me, it was literally everything.
0: Literally everything. Literally everything. Um, Well, it was like, it was pretty much divided between like, oh, that's not normal. And oh, that's not a personal failing (laughs) <laughs> so it's actually really good for my self-esteem to find out I had an verbal yeah. disorder.
1: Right, yeah, like there's a reason for all of this.
0: <laughs> there's a reason, it's that nothing seems to work the way it should.
1: How many suggestions did you get that maybe this actually wasn't something physical and was somehow psychosomatic, did, did you face that at all?
0: Oh yeah, I mean the muscle spasms in my shoulders are totally my stress. And not um, my muscles trying their hardest to hold my head on, um, and yeah, and there was there was a point when I was in my twenties where I was just um, I became you know, extremely fatigued and I was sleeping like 16 hours a day and, or I guess 14 hours a day because I had to commute to work and back (laughs) because I was still working at that point or trying to, um, you know, so I was sleeping basically like all the time I wasn't at work and I was, you know, starting to experience, you know, pain in my hands and, um, dizziness when I stood upright, that might sound familiar to anyone who has dysautonomia, um, you know, so I went to the doctor and you know, they asked me all these questions about you know what was going on in my life. And you know, at the time, my dad was being treated for cancer. So they were like, "Oh, clearly this is just depression yeah. because you know, because of the stresses in your life. Um, and you know the thing is they put me on an antidepressant, and I felt better. Uh, but you know, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, are sometimes used to treat dysautonomia. Right. Cause
1: we only have so many drugs that work on the nervous system. So a lot of times, you know, they, they do use antidepressants to treat pain and to treat other neurological conditions.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, And, and you know, and the other thing is that like, I'm not, you know, I, I do have several anxiety disorders that were also undiagnosed at that point. And, you know, they, it, the, the, the lexapro made my anxiety better, too. So, you know, so even though, like I was being treated for the wrong thing, um, I still felt better and was able to ignore you know the brewing medical crisis <laughs> for you know maybe four more years after that, right. Yeah, that sounds familiar and the, and then the other thing is since it's genetic, like having having poor health was actually pretty normative in my family, right? Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I never really considered myself that hypermobile. Yeah,
1: me neither. I, I, you know, I had friends that were (laughs) gymnasts and ballerinas and stuff who had trained for hypermobility. So compared to them, when I started reading about EDS after being diagnosed with POTS, I was like, oh, I don't, I mean, my thumb bends like that, but I don't think I'm really hypermobile. Exactly.
0: You know, I never do like a perfect split. Like, yeah. never mind that you know my range of motion on my head is like way beyond 180 <laughs> degrees. Or...
1: Yeah, a doctor yeah. recently, when he was examining my hypermobility, told me it was it was it was just about good enough to play uh, the lead in The Exorcist. <laughs>
0: hypermobility <laughs> in my neck. I was like, Oh, okay, that's fun. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's I, yeah. That is fun, and that's also really relevant for uh, for Halloween time. I think. Exactly.
1: Exactly yeah. comes in handy about once a year. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, oh, and then, you know, and then the other, uh, but I want to say the other thing that was, you know, kind of going on with my family is that, um, you know, my parents were, you know, they had grown up middle class, but their parents hadn't necessarily, um, you know, they were children of the Great Depression or immigrants. So there was really kind of like a push towards self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, So even though so on one hand, it was like normal to feel terrible all the time. But on the other hand, like you really had to like push through it and succeed anyway.
1: Yeah. Also very familiar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I just I love talking to other people who've had like this kind of experience of undiagnosed chronic illness and progressive disability, because it really makes me feel like it's not, you know, it wasn't just me, there are right. reasons this happened, this isn't my fault,
1: like, exactly. this isn't
0: my family's fault, like these are large, you know, kind of sociological factors. That are really, you know, affecting lots of people.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's pretty much entirely the reason that I started the show. Like, I am fascinated by this stuff, and I love to ask people really invasive questions about their health. And <laughs> um, and I'm I am so interested in how cultural attitudes kind of shape our attitudes about health and illness and life and death and that sort of thing. And it's it's just been really fascinating to you know, be able to ask people about that stuff.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, at least for me, a huge part of coming to terms with being chronically ill and, you know, disabled is kind of questioning those assumptions that, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're all that we grew up, you know, hearing or that, you know, people continue to make, you know, growing up, like, you know, I want to be clear that, like, you know, I was I was very lucky. My parents loved me. They took me to the doctor. You know, we had the resources for that. But, you know, my, they they'd tell me, stop fetching, stop complaining, you know, or you're being a hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. You know, like, no, no. You know, like, even though you're losing feeling in your pinkies, you're okay. Trust me, you're not having a stroke. You know, because that was the only reason I knew of that you could lose feeling in your hands. Right. No one was talking about, you know, cervical radiculopathy to an 11-year-old. Right. Uh, yeah, so there was just a lot of, like, oh, no, I don't want to be a hypochondriac. Better keep quiet about all these terrible things that are starting to happen with my body.
1: How has this all affected your relationship with your family
0: um so it's kind of interesting um you know like it kind of put my childhood in better perspective for my parents too not just Mm me um but you know so one thing that happened is that uh about a year after my initial eds diagnosis um And a couple months after I first became really sick with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, um, my dad was diagnosed with a recurrence of his cancer. Mm. So, uh, for the next half year, um, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, with my family, um, you know, being there for my dad. uh, And uh, he died that summer. But, you know, I think that kind of. Having those things happen in really quick succession created this weird kind of, like, it was a big tangled mess of emotion. Yeah, I was going to say vortex. (laughs) Yeah, it was a huge vortex. Like, I didn't actually, like, I didn't actually cope with my own.
1: Yeah, because you have no time to process any of that stuff. Like, there's just so much going on.
0: Yeah, it was like, yeah, I'm dizzy, but like, I'm, you know, I'm just going to be sleeping in this chair in the hospital room now anyway, so it's fine, <laughs> um, you know, and I was like, actually kind of glad that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to work, right. and it actually, you know, freed up some, you know, a lot of time for me to be with my family,
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: Uh, but also, you know, kind of delayed my own diagnosis, just because yeah. I was, you know, not that into my own medical stuff right then, but, you know, so that so like, you know, that was just like a huge change for my family. Um, you know, cause I grew up with a, a very tight nuclear family, you know, my mom, my dad, my brother and me, um, you know, and that was a huge change to the family. Um, and you know, and I think in a lot of ways we are closer now. Uh, and you know, I think, I think it's been like, you know, really good to just kind of have the truth finally, mm-hmm. um, but you know it's hard to separate. You know what happened to me from what happened to my dad. Yeah, um, and I think that's also why I like kind of jumped on the opportunity to do some advocacy. <laughs> it's like you know I, my dad, you know, was gone, and I you know really didn't want to like deal with my own stuff. <laughs> it's like you know, if I, you know, clear, clearly someone who's who's uh, coordinating a support group has to be okay, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah, look, I'm helping other people. I'm totally fine. So I think there's, like, kind of an element of, like, um, you know, uh, know, just don't let me think about my own problems. Right. Um, But there's, like, you know, you have to balance that, you know, because I do need to get medical treatment, but I also need to, you know, take a break from, you know, thinking about that all the time. Right. Because there's so much more to think about than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Have any of your friends disappeared on you?
0: Um. You know, no one... I wouldn't say that... I wouldn't say so. But, you know, I also had, like, pretty... Like, a pretty tight group of friends beforehand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I'd gone through some really, like, ridiculous medical things... In my twenties, that were unrelated to ehlers Danlos syndrome, I had a uh, I had a tumor removed at one point. It was benign, but it was huge um, and pressing on my internal organs. Oh, that's uh, fun!
1: Yeah, I found one in my jaw when they like, removed <laughs> yeah. my my wisdom teeth. They were like, "Yeah, we we pulled it out. We were surprised it was there. If it kept, if we didn't find it, it would have broke your jaw." I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> thanks." What were all those X-rays for then?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd gone to one gynecologist who was like, lots of people have bad periods. And then the next one yeah. was like, Holy shit, you have a ten centimeter tumor.
1: Oh my God.
0: <laughs> um, so so let's say that like the friends who'd like stuck around through that were already like <laughs> the kind that were down with gross medical shit.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and you know, I'm just you know, I have a, a very close friend, um I've known her since college. Uh, we immediately clicked. Um, uh, she lives in Vermont now, but, you know, we talk on the internet, um, all the time. Uh, the internet is, I can't imagine being, uh, sick and disabled before right. this. Um, it's
1: Unimaginable.
0: So, yeah, uh, that must've been really isolating. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, so we talk frequently and, you know, we see each other when we can and, um, you know, I'm just really lucky to have, you know, an amazing spouse who, uh, you know always is there to remind me that my value as a person is not my value you know is not the value of my paycheck mm-hmm. uh, which is not very good these days right <laughs> um but you know and you know when cuz it's there's a lot of internalized ableism that you have oh, to oh for
1: sure <laughs> for sure
0: yeah but he's really good with like the capitalist side of things you know <laughs> so you know like no you're you're worth so much yes <laughs> um but yeah like I'm just yeah and then I also um you know I, I live in a city a lot of my friends are in walking distance so I'm able to stay in touch with them um and then also you know even though there are people who I've lost touch with uh you know especially because we don't really have like similar interests anymore you know people who are still like traveling and going out things and doing things that aren't just like sleeping or <laughs> activisting of um, my two favorite activities, uh, but um, but I made like you know some really you know amazing new friends uh, you know who are also disabled and or chronically ill. Nice. Um, yeah. So uh, no, the, the new people are are great, and you know I still definitely have you know some old people in my life, but you know I think I think as you get older, your friends are always going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not like there was anyone close to me who you know said something appalling and then disappeared from my life. Uh, and I know many people who that has happened to. Yeah. So I, I count my blessings. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, but now I I think I have I know some good folk. <laughs> good. One of my sick friends and I play a game called Try Not to Throw Up on Regional Rail, in which we, basically it just consists of us, like, texting each other, like, I'm trying not to throw up on the train. Um, so funny. Yeah, I, you know, sick person humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's really
1: funny. Can you give me a snapshot of a time where someone said or did something really clueless or inconsiderate about your medical condition? <laughs> uh all but one person has laughed at that question
0: um recently i was uh at synagogue with my mom for yom kippur uh and and an older woman um came up to me i was wearing a uh, cervical collar and my wrist braces and walking with a cane and she asked me uh Like, oh, were you in an accident? (laughs) I said, no, I have a genetic disorder. She said, oh, that's terrible. And she just walked away. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Thanks I think. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like, I get, I have people, like, you know, pray for me on the bus, um, which is okay. I mean, you know... I don't have time to, like, you know, tell them about the social model of disability uh, before my spot, and I'll just say thank you. Right. Um, like, don't pray for me. Pray for, pray for, like, you know, accessible taxi cabs or. Okay. <laughs>
1: Pray yeah. that people finally understand that accessibility means more than ramps.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's like a pretty benign instance, but it was just so funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's funny. What do you beat yourself up for? Um, mostly everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm working on that with my psychologist.
1: That's good. Yeah. Therapy is important.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that gets me out of the house on a weekly basis. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I have, a, I have a tendency to blame everything on myself and to compare myself to, you know, some unattainable image of perfection. Um, but I'm, uh, you know, I, I still have the impulse to beat myself up, but at least I can check myself now and be like, wait, realistic goals. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I always, when I find myself, you know, engaging in negative self-talk, I will, um, like I'll stop and I'll ask myself if I were speaking to a friend of mine or a loved one, would I ever say anything like this to them? Or would I even think this about them? And the answer unequivocally, a hundred percent of the time is no. So then I I try and stop and I'll, I'll say like, if you wouldn't say it to somebody else you can't say it to yourself.
0: Yes. Uh I that's that's a really good strategy. I'm yeah. going to have to try to I'm going to try to do it more. Yeah. I've had people tell me it uh but you know it's it's hard.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, I mean I've been trying to do this for a couple of years and it's still uh, yeah.
0: not quite automatic yet. <laughs> yeah, practice practice. <laughs> yeah. Um, But sometimes sometimes I just think I'm positively awesome. I I go back (laughs) and forth. Yeah, like it's not it's not all the time.
1: That's good. You have a balance.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I'm beating myself up for things. Sometimes I think I'm pretty awesome. So, (laughs) you know, I I, I have moods.
1: Uh, What are the goals or priorities that you have for the management of your condition?
0: Um, right now I just need, uh, I I just need someone to tell me about my neck. I need a couple of, uh, opinions and I need my neck fixed or not fixed. I need to know. Yeah. Um, but I mean like long term, I want to, you know, maximize my, you know, my abilities for as long as possible, you know, without dedicating my entire, you know, conscious waking life to it. Um, you know, to me, it's all about like finding kind of that sweet spot Mm -hmm. where you are you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not in denial. Like I, I think about this every day. I I can't not think about it. I take, you know, I take meds several times a day. Um, you know, I have to put my bones back in when I wake up.
1: Yeah. It's not something you can just ignore.
0: (laughs) And be yeah. like,
1: I'm totally fine!
0: <laughs> exactly! Like, I did that for long enough. Right. Probably did a lot of damage. We yeah. probably shouldn't do that anymore. Um, but, I, yeah, I guess my long-term goal is just, you know, finding balance and, you know, kind of continuing to, you know, redefine what it means to be, like, a contributing member of society mm-hmm. uh, when paying work is maybe not on the table anymore. Right. Yeah. And, you know, just to continue to feel, you know, like I'm doing something. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. by doing something, I mean fighting ableism, you yes. <laughs> know, wherever it may be.
1: Yes. What advice would you give to somebody who is still undiagnosed?
0: Take to the internet uh, <laughs> and, you know, don't and start looking for people who have had similar experiences to you because. Mm-hmm. I mean, the information is out there, uh, and I know lots of people who have, you know, either found, uh, you know, what they have on the internet, or you know, they found, you know, they've gotten, a, you know, a recommendation for a doctor who can figure things out. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, I would say like, um, you know, try to be patient. Like it might be a really long haul, mm. and you can. You don't have to wait until you're diagnosed to try to manage your condition.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, which some of it is probably the same answer to this question, which is what <laughs> advice would you give somebody who was just diagnosed this morning? Take me to the internet <laughs> and
0: find people with your condition and read all you can. Yeah. Um, you know, people say, like, don't read it because it's scary. Yeah. I, I like to know. I mean, if you know that you're the kind of person who doesn't like to know, I guess you shouldn't read things. Yeah. But really, like, I recommend, like, you know, trying to learn as much as possible um, so that you can be an informed patient and an active participant in, like, deciding what kind of care you want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and also, uh, you know, there are amazing patient communities out there who can support you. And probably tell you more about your disorder than your doctor can.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I guess the answer to all the questions is internet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for interviewing me. uh, I I hope you got some good stuff.
1: We did get a lot of good stuff. So much so that this is only part one of a two-part interview. Part two will be out next Tuesday and we get into it on disability issues and Rebecca's activism. Thank you so much for listening to In Sickness and In Health. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, subscribe and stay tuned for everything that we have to come. And check out our episodes celebrating Dysautonomia Awareness Month that are up this week. We'll have a new episode up every day. You can find us at insicknesspod.com and on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at InSicknessPod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. And tell your family, tell your friends, tell your doctors. But most importantly, don't forget to be excellent to yourselves and each other.